Um, sometimes, if you're, if you're kind of new here, we don't always do series, but um, boy, they sure help me. I'm a little ADD sometimes, and so like having, like going from one series to the next kind of helps me stay focused, right? Because I have ADOS, attention deficit, ooh, shiny, right? Um, but when we go from one series to the next, and like if there's a, a week or two where we don't have a series, then we call those standalone messages. Um, it's just, again, these are just things that help me hang my hat on what's happening in our church. And so today is a standalone message. And I don't often recycle messages. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? I think sometimes there's an anointing on a message, and if God wants you to share it again. One of my favorite stories about A.W. Tozer, I know some of you have heard me say this before, is he preached the same message three weeks in a row. And this was back when, and maybe we should do this again, because I love talking to all of you. I would never go home, but I love talking to you. When pastors would stand at the door, right, and shake your hands as you leave. Y'all been to churches like that? Some of y'all are like, I've heard enough of Paul. I don't want to even, sh- I just want to get out, right? So, um, but he would stand at the door, and he would shake their hands. And so he said, this lady came by on the third Sunday, sweet old lady. And she said, Pastor? I don't know if you realize that you've preached the same message three weeks in a row. And A.W. Tozer looks at this sweet, precious old grandma and said, well, when y'all start living it, I'll move on. <laughs> Let's pray and go home, right? <laughs> Holy cow, y'all. Man, that's bold. So anyway, um, there's nothing wrong with it. And so this, in, in, a couple weeks ago, God really started to stir in my heart about a message that I preached. Man, this has probably been over 20 years ago to a youth group that um, I would say when I preached it the first time, it was more of a rebuke. I think today it's more of a warning, like a preparation for where God knows we're headed. So I don't want you to think of this like, I don't want you to listen to this whole message like, who's he talking to? Because I'll just answer that right now. You and me, right? Like, well, if you're in the room or watch online, it's, this is for you. So I want to, it's called, Who Needs the Devil When I've Got You? Okay? And I just want to read you this, this quick disclaimer. This is a simple message, straight from Scripture, that will bring correction. All, everybody say All. All of us will be uncomfortable at times because the word is an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) But it also brings correction. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read John 10.10. If you, um, yes, correction in life. I love that. Um, If you are new to the Bible or you're new to memorizing scripture, and, and I will say this full disclosure, um, I've, I've done the whole gamut of things in church. I went from youth pastor who told my kids to memorize Scripture to youth pastor who was like, what's the point of memorizing Scripture? They're not even living it. You can tell I had this little prophetic edge to me, right? To now I'm like not a youth pastor. I'm an older person. I'm an older pastor. I was a young pastor and now I'm older. But I so see the value in memorizing Scripture, y'all. Right? So, like, just to get it down in your heart, David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so I can get a sticker at church. No, so that I might not sin against you. You know why sin is beating you? You don't have his word in your heart. Right? That's what he said. That's what he said. I didn't write it. David did. The Holy Spirit. All right, so John 10, 10. All that to say, this would be a great verse for you to memorize. It says, I'm reading from the NIV, the thief comes only. Everybody say only. 
to steal and kill and destroy, I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We're going to pray in just a minute, but can we just all agree that full is one of those words that sound, it means what it sounds like? Full, right? His purpose is that you would be full of life. God, this is the part where I'm asking you to make me quiet and you loud. Because this is your word. It's yours. And we just want to receive it. We want to hear it clearly, respond deeply. Come, Lord, and glorify your name in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, you can sit back down, y'all. Everybody say four. That's how many points I have. Four points. Man, we just busted out the box, right? Because usually it's three points and a poem and go home. We got four points today, okay? And they're all super simple. This is a simple message, okay, based in John 10.10. A simple message. Don't miss what God has because it's simple, okay? Point number one. The devil comes to do only three things. Only three things. It's right there in the verse. The devil comes to steal to kill, and to destroy. Now, if you're a note-taker, I'll try to say these definitions slowly. <clears throat> Excuse me. He comes to steal. Here's what it means to steal. To take another's property, especially in a deceitful manner. He comes to kill. To kill means to cause the death of, to slay, to destroy, all of y'all are like, duh, I know what it means. Check this part out. To put an end to, to turn off. Right? Kill the lights, <laughs> right? He comes to destroy, to tear down, demolish, to wreck, to ruin, to do away with. This is his mission. You recognize that in John 10.10, 10, we see the mission statement of the devil and the mission statement of Jesus. That's why this is a good one for you to memorize. The devil's mission statement. The reason that Satan, Inc. exists is to steal, kill, destroy. The reason that Jesus exists is to give people life and life to the full. Right? And full. When you say full, here's what you got to think. Full like Thanksgiving dinner full, right? Like lean back under your belt and go. <sighs> that point where you're full but not miserable. And that's a fine line, isn't it? Right? Come on, Southern people. Y'all know how to eat. It's a fine line. Like we went out to eat the other night. Oh, God. Cabo fish taco. Come on, y'all. Anybody else? Cabo? All right. Well, the four of us will go on a trip together. Um, so we, we go to Cabo Fish Taco, and then we went to Jenny's Ice Cream, and then we were going to squeeze in Amelie's, but they were not open, so God protected us probably from that. But we're driving home, and Wendy's comment was, I feel great, right? And sometimes when we go out to eat, we both drive home going, that food was good, and I feel miserable, right? He just... But he wants you to be full, but not miserable. He, that's his mission statement. He wants you to be full, and full of life right not full of it 
A lot of people full of it, right? <laughs> full of life. So listen, if that's, just, if that's the enemy's mission, to steal, kill, and destroy, I, I think in, in um, sporting analogies, so this would be like a football team that has three plays. Play number one, steal. Play number two, kill. Play number three, destroy. They go up and get to the line of scrimmage, and they've called play one. All of a sudden, you hear them, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. What does that even mean, right? I hear it all the time. Three, and you know. You know on the defense. You know. Check, hey, they, just, they just changed the play. They changed it from kill, I mean from steal to destroy, right? They're going to so we know it's coming. If, they, if he's got three plays, why is he so successful? If we actually, we actually know what's coming. It, it reminds me, it pains me to say this as a Panthers fan. But when the Panthers play other teams and you're watching the game and you're like, they're going to run the ball. You, like you're screaming at the TV if you're a TV screamer. They're going to run the ball. It's third and one. If the Panthers stop them, they might have a chance to win. And that's an improvement right there. If they stop them, they might have a chance to win. And so you're screaming at the TV, they're going to run the ball. And they break the huddle, the other team, and it's usually some awful team like, I don't want to name names, but Cowboys. Um, okay, Patriots. Is that better? Packers. Any other team in the NFL? Oh, don't even. Do you have to say the Falcons and bring Satan right into the room? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thank you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You're trying to kill my message. You stop it. Get by me. They break the huddle, right? And they walk up to the line. And literally everybody's on the line of scrimmage. The quarterback for the other team. And then behind them is like a fullback. And the fullback's like, right? And then the halfback. And you just, there's no wide receivers. They brought in every tight end they have. And you, you are screaming at the TV. They're going to run the ball. And the Panthers also know. The coaches are yelling, they're going to run the ball. And then they run the ball and get the first down. Like, but you knew what was coming. Why couldn't you stop it? And so I, I asked myself these questions. If, if Satan has three plays, steal to kill, destroy, and we have known this from the garden, he's not changed them. Why does he work? Why do these plays work? Well, here's the odd answer. He's not running them. Bless you. The reason that Satan is effective with those three plays is because he's not the one running them. We are. Point number two. If we do those three things, the devil doesn't have to. So everybody's looking for a dude with a pitchfork and horns, right? You're looking for a thief that breaks into your house to steal. And you're like, well, if that happens, I know that's Satan. But what about the people that create all the shows on Netflix? Ooh. And every night you watch them, you just aren't sure that you believe as much about Jesus as you used to. Sounds like something's getting stolen. It's because you're, you're looking for a dude with a pitchfork, and he's using... People, who needs the devil when I've got you? 
Because he actually will use people to steal the joy that God gives others. He will use people to kill the work that God is doing in others. He will use people to destroy the faith that God is building in others. Our actions, how we treat one another, reveal whose agenda we're working for. And I mean, I get it. Like, we could all be at different churches next week. This is one of those messages that might make you, yeah, this is, I'm going to find another church where they make me feel good. I I want you to feel good, too. Like, I want somebody who's sick to get better. Like, I would like for the doctor to tell the sick person, you're sick. And if you do these things, you can get better. But if you keep doing these things, you're going to die. I would like to have a doctor like that. Wouldn't you? I'd like to have a mechanic. That would, that would just tell me, yeah, the problem right now is you've thrown the 48th rod. And I would know it was just like, you're making that up, right? Because I feel like sometimes mechanics, and if you're a mechanic in the room, I'm just like, I'm trying to like boom your business, like grow your business. I think if they would just say, I think they're just making stuff up. Yeah, your thermosnocker thing is messed up and it's overheating when you drive below 50 miles an hour. Whoa, that sounds serious. What's that going to cost me? $828. All right, fix it. <laughs> right? Like, we just, our actions reveal who we're working for. So if, if you are tearing down someone else's faith, I, I mean, you can call yourself the doctrine police all you want. You're not working for God. Because his agenda is not to steal, kill, or destroy. But don't they need to be corrected? Yeah. In a way that leads to life. And life to the full, right? So if we run the devil's place, he doesn't have to do anything. And I believe that's why the devil has been effective for all these years since the garden. It's because he's just sitting back going... I don't have to do anything. I think about um, this story of, of a church that was in a building program, and they had just gotten the walls up, and they were, in, they were just, like, in the parking lot. Like, they were so thankful for the, the walls, the progress. And this, this man, like, cranked up one of those big machines that you drive around like a bulldozer, um, and he just starts driving towards the building and drives right into the wall, and all the buildings come down with a crash, and immediately there was, a, there was a church split. Half the church got on one side of the parking lot, and they were holding hands, and they were like rebuking the devil. Satan, you're a liar. You're a liar. And then the other half was over here just like holding hands, thanking God that he had saved them from obviously a big mistake, right? And there was one old guy in the middle that was like, wait, time out. What about the idiot that started that piece of equipment and didn't know how to stop it, right? I think it might be his fault. We're the ones doing the work. You're not used to hearing preachers talk about gossip, but y'all, if we're gossiping, we're working for the devil, right? That's the way this works. If we're out saying that our church is better than every other church, that's not a testimony to God. That's the work of the devil because that causes division. Point three. 
This is for those of you that are in the room and you're like, well, I don't have to worry about doing the devil's work because I'm a Christian, right? Point three, write this down clearly. Religious people have done the devil's work before. The devil would never use church people. Oh, my gosh. You're right. He wouldn't. Okay. Here's a couple verses for you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Paul, actually, in those letters, he's writing to Timothy. He's preparing him for the ministry. He called out the names of the people who were being used by Satan in the church. <laughs> Y'all, oh, that would take church newsletters to a whole new level, wouldn't it? That would make you read the newsletter that we send out every week, right? If the title was, next person being used by the devil is, you'd be like checking it out, right? Right up until it was your name, yeah? And then you'd be like, mm, I don't know what's wrong with them. Well, he, he uses people, he, and he even uses religious people. Here's two things that can happen to I say religious, I mean church, and by church people, I don't mean Christians, and I don't mean followers of Jesus. I'm being very, very clear with my language, right? Um, everybody's a Christian. Like when we went on our first mission trip to Rio, um, they told us flat out, we don't use the word Christian here because Christian meant you were a Catholic. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but in that culture, if you were a Christian, that meant you went to the Catholic church, which in that country was probably like 98% of the people, right? But the people that were following Jesus, they said, we just use the word believer. If I'm a believer. So I think in our, in our country, we're quickly getting to that place, right? We're probably going to have to drop Christian and start using a different word. Like, I like Christ follower. I like follower of Jesus. He told me, follow me. So I'm going to go follow Jesus, right? Because if I'm following Jesus, guess what I'm doing? I'm watching Jesus. I'm learning from Jesus. What he does, I do. And I don't know that that describes Christianity in America. Two things that can happen to church people. Number one, they get cynical. Now, this is where I think that this is um, a preemptive message, okay? Because y'all know that God is pouring his spirit out on our church. Not because he loves our church more than any other church down here. But because we're just, we're just positioning ourselves to be aware of and to respond to his presence, right? So he's pouring his spirit out on that because if there's hungry people, he's going to feed them. Now, I'm thankful that I get to meet with pastors at least once a month. And I get to sit in a circle with pastors who pastor other churches who, guess what, are also hungry for a move of God. So we have a lot of churches in our area they're all saying the same thing, which is basically, we don't know what we're doing. Help. And guess what God does with that? He just pours his spirit out. We want people to be truly set free. He just pours his spirit out. And so when he's going to begin to do that, and here's what you're going to see. The passion is going to rise, and people that the devil wants to use to do his work are going to get cynical. They're not going to believe that it's possible to be as in love with Jesus as you are. It's not the world that stifles revival. It's the church. It's the people in the church who are saying things like, well, you used to watch that show with me before. 
Are you, we used to go out on Friday nights and get drinks together. Why aren't we going now? And you're going to have to say to people stuff like, I just, my appetite's changing. I don't hunger for those things anymore. I, I, I just, I want Jesus. And church people will say, dude, you need to get some balance. And if you want revival, I'm going to give you the answer to that. When people say you need balance, here's what you say. Show it to me in the Bible, and I'll get it. You won't find balance in the Bible. Because balanced people don't change the world. Passionate people do. And, and we are passionate, yes? We are passionate about the things that we're passionate about. We're just not always passionate about Jesus. So religious people, church people, they will get cynical. They will try to steal your joy by reminding you of your failures. Right? They're the people that will pull you down. They're the people that will say this, I thought you were a Christian. Right? <laughs> your answer to that has to be, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, and is there something that I was doing that made you think I wasn't? And thank you for pointing it out to me so I can make that right with the Lord, because I want to follow Jesus. And then here's what their answer to that will be. <laughs> it's great. It's great. So um, the devil can use people who get cynical. Mm. I know that I, I, I don't want y'all to think I'm anti-social media. So I'm trying not to become that pastor who, like, rails on certain things because I'm on social media. But because I'm on social media, y'all, Twitter is a cynic fest. It is full of people who are trying to do the Lord's work by pointing out how bad other people are who are also trying to do the Lord's work. It's just cynicism. It's all it is. And, and cynicism, all that says is somewhere I got hurt and I didn't get healed. That's what makes you cynical, right? Getting hurt and not being healed. When you're hurt and you experience healing, guess what you become? Compassionate. That's when you say things on social media like, that's a good point, have you considered? You sort of have a conversation. But if you're, if you're hurt and not healed, we will become cynical. And the devil loves to use cynical people. So, are you all still with me? Okay. We're, we're quickly coming to the end. So, in this third point, religious people have done the devil's work before. First off, they get cynical. And second, they get comfortable. They refuse to break out of the laziness that is set in on their walk with God. And so, they see everything as legalistic. Except for every other area of their life that demands a high standard, right? Like, they will go to all the practices. They will not eat certain foods if it helps them to sing better. Like, all the things that they're pursuing that don't involve the lordship of Jesus, they'll do all the things that are required and never think twice about it. But step into the church and have a pastor say stuff like, hey, we need you to read your Bible. Oh, that's legalistic, brother. What? That's just like that's what followers of Jesus do. Like, we want to know what he said because we're following him, right? And so comfortable people will always say, that's, that's legalistic. 
When I presented this to teenagers 20-some-odd years ago, I had a couch on the stage, and so I had a couple, I had one teenager sitting on the couch, and he had a bag of potato chips, and he was just eating the potato chips, right? Crumbs going everywhere. And I had another, because every YouTube's got, like, that guy or girl, and then you got the guy or girl that's all into fitness, right? And they went walking past, like, and the couch potato said, where are you going? They said, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to go work out. You want to go? And the guy on the couch said, yeah but didn't move. The point being, you can, wanting to go and actually going, two very different things, yes? How many of you have said, like at the beginning of the year, this year I want to, fill in the blank, read 20 books, work out more, lose 10 pounds, right? Like, we're all about the want to, not so much about the doing of the want to. We get comfortable And people that are comfortable will try to kill and destroy the passion that you have for God. And and that tears us down. All right, recap, then the fourth point. The devil comes to do only three things, steal, kill, destroy. If we do those three things, the devil doesn't have to. And religious people, church people, have done the devil's work before, and I would say are still doing it. And here's the fourth one. Oh. So this is the one. This is the one that you won't get unless the Holy Spirit softens your heart. And I won't get it if it doesn't soften my heart. We'll just go, huh, you'll make a note of it, write it down, and won't really, it won't sink in. Number four, to do the devil's work is to work against God. I think this is hard for us to get as believers because we're so sure that God is on our side right this is why for so long we've believed that God was a middle-aged white Republican right I mean thank God he's purging that from the church or if you went to a church that wasn't all white he was whatever the best thing I do is sit in a room once a month with pastors who don't look like me and hear them talk about how much they love Jesus. Because it makes me say stuff like, I, I get in my car and I'll say, I'll call Wendy, I'll like, Wendy, I just, I just met the, the coolest like five guys, like they, six guys, because now we're thinking about burgers. So six guys, right? <laughs> and they don't look like me and some of them aren't even guys, they're like ladies and they all love Jesus and they all vote Democrat. And there was a time in my life when I'd have been like, there ain't no way that can happen. And, and he, hey, come at me if you want to. I'm cool with it, right? This isn't a political message. I'm just saying not everybody's like you. And that people that, that aren't like you can actually also love Jesus. I think we need to understand this, right? We need to understand that, that to do the devil's work is to actually work against God. 
And so if I think that you have to look like me, vote like me, talk like me, act like me to love the same Jesus I love, I'm not on God's side, and he's not on mine. And that's the big deal, right? We have been raised with this lie. God is on your side. No, he's not. God doesn't have a side. God is God. The question is, are you on God's side? That's the question. And until we answer that question and know that we're on God's side, we will find ourselves from time to time doing the devil's work and finding ourselves opposed to God. That's why I paused before we tackled this one, right? Because this is a hard one, y'all. I mean, if I gave Cecil the mic and sat in his seat and he said this, I would be just like y'all. I'd be like, I don't know what to do with that. Bro just said that I'm working for the devil and against God, and he, he don't, you don't know me. You know, I read the Bible seven days a week. I got a streak in you version almost about to hit 1,000. This is what people are thinking right now, right? You don't know me. Come judge me. I'm not judging you, and I'm not claiming to know you. But the very fact that you would respond that way says you're defensive about something, and not open to God. You're still trying to convince me that you're on the right side. I'm on the side of the people that go to Sunday school. Bro, your church doesn't even have Sunday school, bro, right? That's like your pastor doesn't go deep, bro. What is that? It's all divided, and it's the devil's work. And I, I'm not saying it to tell you we should stop being divided because I believe that God's doing something beautiful in this place. I mean, I think it's, I have people say, like, you're, like you, I visited your church, and your church is really diverse. You know what my answer to that is? We are. <laughs> That's what I say. But I, I know that we're Stanley County diverse, but I don't want that. I want heaven's diversity, right? That's what we're after. So at some point, we have to see, here's, here's the verses just to back this up. In John 17, Jesus prayed for unity, right? So he wants us to build one another up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Do y'all read the word any and get tripped up? It's just me. You know, I am. Sarcasm is my love language. Y'all know that, right? <laughs> I do not like this passage of Scripture that I'm reading to you because I read any and go, God, surely you don't mean any. Like, some of my jokes are good. They're good, right? And like, I'm, I'm, I'm digging at people. He's like, don't let any unwholesome talk. So then I go, okay, so that means sarcasm is not unwholesome. God must be pleased, right? <laughs> Renee, is he pleased? No. <laughs> Renee's like, she's looking at me like, come on, Paul, you know better than that, right? I, you, see, I'm rationalizing. This is what we do, God. Get on my side, God. Be on the sarcasm side. Come on, God. Come on, God. I saw how Jesus talked to people. Well, if you don't know the answer to that question, I'm not give you a, right? He, he, I want to go, he was sarcastic. No, he was Jesus. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, I got to finish. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, there's that word again, only, holy cow, only what is helpful for building who up? Others. According to whose needs? Theirs. That it may benefit who? Those who listen. Everything we talk about is for our benefit. Have you noticed this? 
we say things that we like to hear. We say things that make, make us sound good, that build us up. And Paul just said, only say what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. Oh. In a minute, we'll have an altar call, and I won't run it. I'll be at the altar. 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, while we read this about grieving the Holy Spirit, let me just read to you the definition of grieve. To cause intense emotional suffering due to loss. Some of us in the room are well acquainted with grieving, right? The Holy Spirit can grieve. You think the Holy Spirit's grieved when he sees brothers and sisters saying words that tear down brothers and sisters? I mean, do I have parents in the room? How many of you um, listen to your kids fight with one another and walk in and go, I love this. I just, this is a sound that I love to hear. Uh, no. Am I right? <laughs> go to your room. Go to your room. Come out when you're 20. Right? That's basically the idea. Right? It's like it grieves. Doesn't it grieve your heart as a parent to hear your kids fight with one another? This is how God feels. This is how the Holy Spirit feels. He's like, in verse 29, he's talking about how we talk to other people and why we talk to people. In verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse 31, he goes back to how we deal with people. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. That means all. That doesn't mean all except what you feel at Walmart. It means all. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. I don't have time to go into it. You can talk to Wendy about it, but I've told you before, part of my testimony is my sister told my mom Paul's going to beat his wife because she knew my rage. She saw my anger. She saw me as the brother who hit the wall and put holes in it. She heard me cuss all the time. She knew who I was. She saw rage in me. The beautiful thing about what Jesus does is he changes our heart. So like Wendy will say, I cannot even imagine that guy. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay. All right. I think we're almost done. And we're going to watch a video. When we do the devil's work by tearing people down, and I think, again, this is preemptive because we're trying to preserve unity, right? We are trying to cut right, right, me and you, not the same, right? We're not the same. I know people think we are, right? John, I know we had the same last name, not the same. You're so much better than me, right? Not the same. Same, Did y'all know that we, it's Jenkins Jenkins, y'all know that? I love that. We're, we're, unity is not our job to make. Unity comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we're supposed to make every effort, how many efforts? Every, to preserve and maintain unity. It's the Holy Spirit's job to create unity. It's our job to maintain unity, right? And the only way to do that is to have a humble heart 
that recognizes that if I'm not close to the Holy Spirit, I could actually be a part of grieving the Holy Spirit in the way that I speak to a brother or sister who's not like me. Oh, can we just go one step deeper? This won't affect anybody in here. This will not apply to any of you. I could actually be a part of grieving the Holy Spirit in the way that I talk to people who are just like me in church about other people who are not just like me in church. That grieves him. And as I've prayed through this message, you know what I've prayed? I have prayed that at the end of this message, all of us would feel the grief that the Holy Spirit feels over us. Because a city that is divided is going to walk into our walls or they're going to encounter you outside these walls and they've got to see a difference in us. When the church is full of people who don't look the same and they get along, that will get the attention of a world that can't get along, right? Like if we flash back to L.A., like, you know, Rodney King, why can't we just get along, right? If we flash all the way back there, if the church was being the church, the answer to his question would have been in a church, right? Hey, come on, hang out in here. We'll show you. We can, we can, we're getting along. Sometimes we don't like each other, but we're going to get along. And if we don't do that hard work, then here's what can happen. We can find ourselves face-to-face with a God whom they are serving. And the question is, how will he respond? If I'm being used by the devil to tear Lizzie down, and then Lizzie stands before God, and God says to Lizzie, well done, and I'm next in line, y'all, I don't want to be there. I want to be able to stand in front of God and know that I did everything I could to be on his side in the way that I treated my brothers and my sisters. Because, and this is a sobering thought. Acts chapter 5, verse 38 and 39. The church was trying to figure out what to do with the disciples, where they should get rid of them, kill them, whatever. And one man stood up and said this. In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if, they, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. And my fear is that some of the church is fighting against God. We we encourage people all the time, hey, the battle's not against flesh and blood, right? It's not the people that we can see, it's the Satan behind them. Sometimes I want to say to people, um, time out, because you're fighting with brothers and sisters but you're actually fighting God. And that's the part that I don't think, we need the Holy Spirit to help us get that. We're fighting against God. And at some point, this is going to sound cruel, but it's true. At some point, I think that God will say enough. I will not contend with man any longer. Now, some of you that know your Bibles, you're flashing back to Genesis, and you're like, well, 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 time out, Paul. He said that before the flood, and then he flooded the whole earth, and then he said he would never do that again. Right. Y'all know that we're quickly speeding to the end of the days when God will say, I will not contend with man any longer. I'm asking you to let him contend with you now while you have a choice to make to be right with him. Now, I have preached so long, y'all. You've been so good. Tell the person next to you, way to go. 
seriously, I'm going to ask you for 10 more minutes, okay? Um, I'm going to show you a video that I showed. It's old, and when, I, when it first pops up, you're going to say, 1995? Yeah, that's a long time ago, isn't it? How many of you were not even alive in 1995? Raise your hand. Be proud. Right, I get this. This video is older than you. Y'all look a lot better than the video because the videos got they got weird clothes on, right? And it's all grainy and stuff. But this is a testimony that I shared with my youth group at the end of this message. And I will tell you this. There's an anointing on what I'm going to show you that I believe if we're open to it, can do a work deeper than anything I could ever do with words. <laughs> You're going to be like, why didn't you just show the video? Good question. I don't really know. It's good. That's a good question. But it's from a place, it's from a church called Brownsville Assembly. Um, and I just want to set you up for just for a second because there's things you're going to think when you first see this. The girl that's going to share her testimony is going to shake a lot. Now, I don't know why she's shaking. You know, the pastor's going to try to help answer those questions. And I just don't want you to sit here the whole time thinking like, wait, if we have revival, am I going to have to do that? Because nobody else is shaking, just her, right? So I don't want you to get hung up on that. I just want you to hear the heart of what she shares and the heart of the Father, the God behind the words that she shares, right? And I just want you to know, I, I, I pray, some of y'all are new. Y'all been here for long enough. How many of you have been here long enough to, to trust me as your pastor? Do you trust me? Yeah. Can I just tell you this? The video I'm about to show you marked my life. Mark my life. I'm not the same 20-some-odd years later than I was when I first showed this. And my prayer is that it would mark our church and that you would have a heart, the same heart of the Father, because he's after the souls of men, y'all. He's after the souls of men, and he wants to use us to reach them. And when this video's over, the band will come up, and they will start to play, and we don't know. We already told them, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to manipulate your response, but I'm going to call you to one. Would you respond at the end of this video? All right. Roll that beautiful bean footage.
the first week of the revival. And <laughs> like they say, you don't have to search after the manifestation. The manifestation is on me now, but it wasn't for a long time. I came to lots of meetings and I got prayed for and I never felt anything physically happen, but my whole life was transformed. And now God's given me the gift of intercession. You can, you can pause that video right there. And you can just keep the lights down. It's fine, just like it is. What I love about that video 
is is the grief in the hearts of men over the heart of God. We think revival is jumping up and down, celebrating all the things. And there's a part of that in revival. But revival is God's heart being put in man's heart. And his heart is for people. And I'm telling you, because I already feel it, as God uses us in revival in our city, we're going to have to become acquainted with recognizing how he grieves. Here's your altar call this morning. Just come. This is a time when God is purifying his church. And so if you're here this morning and you are convicted about speech, words, things that you have said, if this morning God has convicted you of being used to do the devil's work, your response is repentance. You don't have to get out of your chair to do it, but I'm telling you, after a message about being comfortable, I would move. I would move and find a place at the altar and repent. The second part of our answer this morning is that we want to have hearts that recognize the enemy's work so that we can dismantle it so that people can be healed and free so that we can do the Lord's work in this city if those resonate with you come come don't go another week come now I believe the Lord is in a hurry And don't even let the devil convince you that that was an old video and he wasn't in so much of a hurry that he came then. Because you don't know when, and neither do I. He's in a hurry. Time is moving fast, and his heart is for people. Come, find a place at the altar, and let him put his heart in your heart. As Paul was speaking this morning, um, <laughs> The Holy Spirit brought something back to me that he showed me a few months ago as I was reading through Acts. And, uh, and he reminded me, Saul, before he became Paul, he knew God. He was a Pharisee. He knew so much about this Hebrew God, Yahweh, that he was trying to serve. He knew all the right things to say and to do in the church and with the people. But he did not know Jesus. And he was killing Christians thinking he was serving this God that he knew. And it wasn't until the power of the transformation on his road to Damascus, that powerful transformation through Jesus, that he became Paul and realized that what he was doing was fighting against the God he claimed to have known. If you do not know Jesus, 
it is so hard for you to understand why the weight of the Holy Spirit is so heavy. And so I'm going to ask you to come and meet Jesus so you can have that powerful transformation, life change, and truly know the God that you think you know. So the, the team's just going to lead in some worship. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think the heart of God this morning is that we would leave here on His side, right? That we would leave on His side. And so while they sing, I mean, you, you sing, we're going to pray for people. You come respond at the altar, but respond, right? This is your chance to say to the Lord, I'm going to be on your side. But you, you're going to be on, your, on his side with his heart, right? So, Lord, I just pray right now in this room that you would continue to move, Lord, just in the beautiful power of your Holy Spirit. Break our hearts, God, for the things that break yours. I thank you for the spirit of intercession that is in this house. And Lord, I pray that you would call people to yourself. Those in this room, those watching online, call us to yourself, either to follow Jesus for the first time or to, to, to rededicate ourselves to living a life like that testimony that is transformed and is on your side. That's the church you want to use to bring revival to this city. And we want to be that church, God.